During Robert Brogdon's Olathe Buick GMC clearance event, save up to 20% on new models like the 2023 Buick Encore GX or GMC Sierra 1500. View their huge inventory at robertbrogdon.com and find your perfect match. The show that takes you home. The Homestretch with Sterling Holmes on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, and the ESPN Kansas City Facebook page. Welcome to the Homestretch ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, 1510.com, and Facebook Live. Live in studio on a frigid Thursday afternoon. Kyle behind the glass. It was so cold Last night, taking my dog outside at, I don't know, midnight. The wind off of the snow and ice was brutal. I was out there for like five or ten minutes, and my face was almost frostbitten. Horrible. What is this weather? Why are you taking your dog out at midnight? He's got to go. What are you going to do? Leave him in the house, Kyle? You want me to let him piss on the carpet? No, pal. He knows better than that. I'm not letting that happen. Smart. Come on. What do you? I don't want you to have a dog, Kyle. I thought you were like walking him that late. No, I'm not walking him. You, you think I'm an, an idiot? <laughs> no, Come on. Well, that. don't answer that, Kyle. Don't <laughs> answer that. You know who's not an idiot? The man we are bringing on right now, Jordan Foot. Foot noted on Twitter. Make sure you follow him. F O O T E. Jordan, how are you? Sterling, I'm good, first of all, thank you. Um, Second of all, you had a perfect opportunity, a layup, fast break, nobody past half court, to say, speaking of idiots, we have Jordan Foote. But instead, you were a good friend and said, you know who's not an idiot. So I I respect you for not taking the layup. See, I I can't do that to you, Jordan. You keep ducking me on the show. You keep ducking me in golf. You won't play with me. You've ducked me in basketball. I figured if I say anything mean, you're just going to duck me forever. Yeah, that's a good point. If you called me an idiot, I probably would never talk to you again. Wow. Wow. Paper-thin skin from Jordan Foote. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk Chiefs first. I do want to get some of your thoughts on the Royals and what they have been doing this offseason, obviously, as inside the Royals. But also, uh, Arrowhead Report, I want to talk to you about this upcoming matchup. Chiefs, Bengals, we've talked all week long about it. I want to get your thoughts, because you're, I don't want to say a Chiefs hater, but you're definitely not. Oh my. You're definitely not a Chiefs homer. Okay, I'm, I'm the heel, the heel of Chiefs Twitter. I guess that's what I got called. In. I think it was last week or the week before. Well, it, it works too because Jordan Foot heel. Come on now. Not nice talking to you, Sterling. We'll, we'll do this again next week. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but when it comes to all of the trash talk surrounding this game, you obviously don't have a, a, a rooting interest, if you will. You're, you're a Rams fan first and foremost. Your Chiefs alliance is strictly business. What do you make of Mike Hilton and, and the Bengals in general having all this Reggie Miller-esque trash talking going on? Well, it was... It was something until Willie Gay Jr. came out this afternoon and said nothing impresses him about the Bengals' offense. Yeah. Um, it's it, Both teams were going to get asked some really tough questions. 
both teams were going to get somewhat insulting or just slights kind of teed up, and all they had to do was swing the bat. And it doesn't have to be a home run. It's a single. And there's a bunch of singles being hit in this lineup there between the Bengals and Chiefs. And Patrick Mahomes is never going to do it. Um, Zach Taylor isn't going to do it. You know, he said the whole right where we want to be thing. I, I don't mind that. Like, a lot of it is people just getting mad that the Bengals think they're just as good as the Chiefs, if not better. They should think that. They beat the Chiefs three times out of the past three times they've played. Yes, they've been close. Yes, they've been vulnerable to losing. No, they don't have a Super Bowl. But like the Bengals, until proven otherwise, potentially on Sunday, I think are the top dog in the AFC. Now you can go back further than last season and say it was the Chiefs, right? Because Mahomes, because of the Andy Reid era with Mahomes, the five straight AFC championship games in totality, the Bengals have earned the right to talk some trash. I think it's because people aren't used to the Chiefs doing it and the Chiefs' opponents not doing it, that it's catching people off guard. But some of it is warranted. Not all of it, but I think a little bit. They they deserve to do it regardless of whether they should or not. I don't hate it. It almost has a WWE feel going yeah. into the game. I yeah. like trash talk. Uh, surprising coming from me, I bleep talk nonstop in basketball. It's what I do. Some of it's just gamesmanship. Some of it is trying to get into the head or under the skin of the other opponent. I get it. Uh, I understand why Chiefs fans are mad. You know, I I understand. When you've gone to five straight and hosted five straight AFC championship games, it's easy to think that you are the big dog in the AFC. And I, I personally believe the Chiefs are the big dog in the AFC. But again, the one team that has given them trouble... That's the Cincinnati Bengals. They have some right, like you mentioned, to be at least a little cocky. Getting into the game itself, Joe Burrow is so good under pressure. The offensive line that was supposed to be horrendous, they put up great numbers against the Buffalo Bills, right? They held Joe Burrow upright. They were dominating on the ground. Joe Mixon getting three, four, five yards downfield before contact. What does the Chiefs' defense do to try and get pressure on Joe Burrow, or do they drop back eight dudes and force them to run the ball with Joe Mixon? Yeah, that's that's an option. Um, and people want to bring up that they have to stop Joe Burrow, and that's it. I'm glad you brought up the running game. It wasn't even Joe Mixon the last time they played. Samaj P. Ryan ran the ball 21 yeah. times for over 100 yards. He averaged five yards a carry. And I think it was Nick Leckie. Um, who brought up this point on a KCSN show recently, um, it wasn't big runs. Oh, sorry, it was Matty Lane, actually. It was, they weren't big runs. As long as run was 10 yards. But they were constantly gashing the Chiefs for five yards, six yards, seven yards, then a stop. Then seven, 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 then a stop. And if the Chiefs can force them into more third and medium or third and long situations, I think that allows George Karloftis to tee off, a guy that is more um, contained, I guess you could say. Frank Clark, who sets a good edge in run defense, doesn't have to worry about the run. Chris Jones, who has worked on gap discipline and integrity this year on defense and playing good run defense, he doesn't have to worry about that. When you force the Bengals into obvious passing situations, like, yes, that makes it more likely that Joe Burrow is going to dice you up, but it also gives you a better chance at sacking him or getting pressure on him. So, I think not only getting stops on first and second down, that's obviously paramount to any team. Also, Steve Spagnolo getting creative 
with the blitzes he runs, whether it's Lajarius Sneed out of the slot, maybe Trent McDuffie out of the slot. Maybe he sends Nick Bolton or a Willie Gay Jr. more likely, um, regardless of what safety he has playing near the line of scrimmage. Like, it's going to be interesting to see what packages he kind of sets up for this one. I think it's going to be a near uh, empty the tank, empty the barrel type game for Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo. They're going to be calling their asses off in terms of plays. I think it's going to be interesting. I don't know. Like, we've seen and heard all week people talking about, oh, the Chiefs had X amount of sacks this year. That was second or third in the NFL. And, oh, they got a bunch of pressures. And, oh, it was a lot with the front four. And the front four came on strong. You can rush with four. You don't have to rush five. You don't have to rush six. They weren't doing that against the Bengals, man, Mm. last time they played. They didn't do it against the Bills, really, when they played these premier teams early and even later in the season after the bye week, they weren't getting a ton of sacks. They had one for seven yards last time they played. They're going to need more than that. Chris Jones is going to need one. One of Karloftis and Clark is probably going to need one. Maybe a cornerback gets one. You're going to have to sack Joe Burrow multiple times. There's multiple ways to do it, but that and stopping the run, you have to be able to get pressure without selling out for the run. It's going to be tough. Obviously, long-winded way of saying no perfect way to slow down the Bengals offense. They're they're too talented. They're too good. They're too proficient. They're too efficient. It's going to be a very, very tall task. Jordan Foote joining us right here, ESPN Kansas City. Again, follow him on Twitter, at Foote Noted. One thing that stood out to me was the play of the linebackers against Cincy the first go-around. That was the worst tackling display I've seen from them all season long. I don't think that continues into this game. That was just a bad game for both Nick Bolton and Willie Gay Jr. Where I am concerned for those two guys is in pass coverage. Now, Willie Gay Jr., him saying nothing, nothing about the Bengals offense. I'm sitting here going, well, they were torching you guys. Hayden Hurst, before his injury, obviously only had two receptions, but it looked like he could get open at will. He obviously Mm -hmm. went down. Uh, Bengals game plan changed a little bit. Well, guess what? Hayden Hurst is back and healthy. Is that where, if you were the Kansas City Chiefs, you'd be most worried about them taking advantage of Nick Bolton and Willie Gay Jr. in pass coverage? Yeah, no, 100%. And and I think Willie Gay has the athletic profile to make up for his deficiencies. But then again, he doesn't have the mental uh, fortitude, I think, for Nick Bolton. And that's not saying that Willie Gay Jr. doesn't understand the playbook or offensive schemes. But Nick Bolton's just on a different level. He really, really understands. The thing with Nick Bolton is he doesn't have the athletic profile. So they both have massive uh, pluses and minuses, I think, as players. And if you're a team like the Bengals, and they seem to be just as good at this as pretty much any team in the NFL, um, I would think like a Bill Belichick coach team would be similar if they were in this position. They're going to take advantage of your weaknesses. They, they are going to attack, attack, attack. I wouldn't be surprised to see Nick Bolton get targeted and coverage multiple times. I wouldn't be surprised to see him fail multiple times. Um, that's when the tackling comes into play. If you give up a catch to somebody regardless of where it's at on the field you have to stop it there you can't allow yards after the catch you can't allow bigger plays to become huge plays if you can make those seven yard catches not turn into explosives 20 or more yards that's going to be huge so linebacker play definitely bad last time i think the middle of the field is going to be a massive place where the Bengals just attack 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 the safety play has been better 
since that last matchup, so I think that helps. The cornerback adjustment helps. The uh, interior defensive line playing well helps having chess pieces there. But that second level, man, you got to have good linebacker playing. The Chiefs can't really get by with just okay. With that said, though, that would be an upgrade, like you mentioned, over that Week 13 game because it was, it was rough. So my concerns are that linebacking in coverage. And correct me if I'm being a buffoon or an idiot, at least in this one instance, I'm not as worried about Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins, I think, as the average fan. Now, you might be saying, Sterling, why they're incredible players. I I don't disagree. That is the best wide receiving core, top to bottom, in the NFL. But I don't think they're going to try and beat the Chiefs in that way. I think Legereus Sneed will probably go one-on-one with either uh, T. Uh, T Higgins, doubtful Jamar Chase, just because I think Jamar Chase you want to put on um, either that's McDuffie and safety help. You're going to try and bracket him and then go one-on-one with Tyler Boyd in the slot. We will see. But I think the Chiefs actually can match up okay, at least size-wise, with those three guys. It's going to be over the middle. It might be... I don't want to say too obtuse when it comes to thinking the Bengals won't have as big of an advantage on the outside with the receivers as the majority of folks think. Yeah, I I think so too. And Jalen Watson does well as a somewhat lengthy corner with physicality. Trent McDuffie plays a lot bigger and longer than he is as a cornerback. And LeJarrius Sneed, if you put him on a guy who doesn't run a 4-4 with insane agility – He does pretty well, too. I mean, we saw with DK Metcalf, he has the long speed, but he doesn't quite have the in and out of his breaks. Metcalf still got his, but he wasn't ripping off huge plays and scoring multiple touchdowns. That one game last year of the two, Chase had 266 and three touchdowns. He absolutely torched the Chiefs on only like 11 grabs. So I don't think now as constructed and as uh, schemed in Steve Spagnuolo's defense, Ironically, where the biggest playmakers are on the outside, the biggest game breakers are on the outside, like you said, I think you should probably be least worried about that because the middle of the field at the first level and the second level and even the back end, that's where the Chiefs should worry. Mm. It's wild that you and I agree, Foot. I'm I'm almost scared. We've, yeah, been, we, we've I, agreed I don't a think lot that's this ever show. Happened. No, ever. and we, we've agreed a lot this show. We need to do our little cigar night, okay? <laughs> the la- I'm going to duck you on that. Uh, you're going to duck me? Dog. Yeah. Wow. I have my Christian Okoye humidor I was going to bring over to oh. your place, but guess what? Not anymore, pal. Not anymore. Well, I have to keep it going, right? I have to commit to the bit. Yeah. You don't, though. Come on. Come on. True. Give me some I'll hype over here. Speak bygone, Sterling. I forgive you. All right, all right. Uh, Lou, defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo has done a phenomenal job. I don't think the Bengals' defensive – their talent isn't that of the Eagles or San Francisco, right? They don't have guys that you're like, oh, yeah, that's the top corner in the league. That's the top edge rusher in the league. That's the top linebacker in the league. But what do they do? They find ways in big games, the opposite of the Buffalo Bills, the opposite of Leslie Frazier. Lou Anarumo steps up in these big type of games. What do you expect him to do against, while I don't want to say a hobbled Mahomes, but obviously Mahomes, that's clearly not going to be 100%. Yeah, man. Lou Anarumo is so freaking good at what he does, and he's making the players finally get some recognition. Um, When you called 
I was five minutes and 28 seconds into um, the video on the ringer where Ben Solak is talking about the Bengals defense and how the, the job they did against Mahomes recently. Like, I am such a nerd when it comes to how they managed to drop eight and stymie the Chiefs offense last year. On one hand, I don't think you can do that this year with the personnel and the scheme that the Chiefs have. Not that it's, like, drastically different, but it's different enough. Two, with Patrick Mahomes being injured and maybe a little bit less mobile, now, earlier in the week, it seemed like he'd definitely be hobbled. Now, I don't know. He seems to be doing okay. I Dude, think once he's, the game a, comes, he's superhuman. He's, it makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he's going to be running around and doing crazy stuff on, uh, I almost said Saturday on Sunday. He did it in the Super Bowl in what was, he said, the, the most painful injury of his career. So <laughs> they're going to get him hopped up on something. He's going to be able to be Mahomes. Now, is he going to be running quite as crazy? No. Is he going to be apprehensive a little bit? Probably. Is he going to be cautious? Probably. But him staying in the pocket even a little bit more or helping his tackles out by not dropping so deep into the pocket, that's going to help the passing game, him getting the ball out quicker. Last year, the Bengals knew. I'm looking at the screen right now. Patrick Mahomes has Jerick McKinnon wide open in the flat, didn't throw him the ball. He, he just, this year, does want to do that. And he's always going to be the guy that wants to push the ball down the field, get it to Kelsey, get it to uh, MVS, get it to Kadarius Tony, get it to McCole Hardman, Juju if he's open in the intermediate. He's hitting his running backs a lot. The Chiefs have weaponized those guys. I think that makes it to where you can drop eight and you can force the Chiefs to rip off these 9, 10, 11, 12 play drives. But they can do it. They can do it about as well as anybody in the NFL. So that combined with the injury, combined with, Mahomes and Reed just regressing to the mean in a positive way from that AFC Championship game last year. I think they're going to be okay, even though Anarumo's really, really good at this job. Do you expect to see some uh, some jumbo sets from KC? Do you expect to see some 13 yeah. personnel? Do you expect them to try and consistently run the ball with Isaiah Pacheco? I know we say this a lot. We here in Chiefs Kingdom sometimes just sit there and say, come on, they're giving you six, seven yards on the ground. Why do you keep trying to force the ball with Mahomes? It's who Andy Reid is, right? Andy Reid likes to pass the rock, and when you have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, it's understandable, but at times you're just sitting there going, keep running the rock. Just keep doing it. Do you expect them to actually stick with that more in this game, stick more with 12 and 13 personnel as well? I think sticking with 13 personnel is a yes. I believe they've doubled their usage this year, and they've, they've upped their efficiency somehow. Um, they they have the athletes, man, especially if Jody Fortson gets back in the fold. It's where they can all block. Noah Gray improves. Blake Bell's a fantastic blocker. Jody Fortson's a good or a better blocker than he was. Travis Kelsey, as needed, can. They can block. They have good athletes. They have good route runners. They have mostly dependable hands. They have one of the best tight end groups in the NFL, not only in the talent, but how they use it. So I expect 13 personnel to be a big thing, 12 personnel to be a relatively decent thing. They also have a running back this year that's not Clyde Edwards Delaire, who was, you know, injury prone and not very big in stature and not built to withstand 15 carries in a playoff game at the end of the long season. They also have Jerick McKinnon weaponized as a change of pace back, a guy that you come in and give five carries to in a game, the guy you throw five or six footballs to, if not more. 
Then they have Isaiah Pacheco, who has emerged as a potential, hey, dude, we're going to give you 15 carries, and you're going to carry the bulk of the load on the ground. You're going to run hard. You're not going to get tired. We're going to get a lead. You're going to help sit on the lead. All that good stuff, they have that guy. So the personnel this year is tailored to sitting on the lead and just having these long drives. I think they can do it. Now, do I expect it? I think more than last year, but like you mentioned, it's hard to get Andy Reid to fully commit to that. Now, I don't know if you can have any underrated or under-talked about uh, aspects of a game considering it feels like it's only Thursday and we've talked ad nauseum at every single tidbit, every single aspect of this game. But one factor that I think still might not be talked about quite as much as the other ones Joe Tooney was out against the Bengals the first time around this season. Orlando Brown Jr. had his worst game of the season with Joe Tooney out. How big is it that Joe Tooney is back in this game? Will the offensive line hold? Do you have a lot of faith in them? They've played well as the season's gone on. I, for one, again, I don't think Orlando Brown Jr. necessarily deserves elite left tackle money, but I also think he's been above average. He's been for sure serviceable. I think Andrew Wiley, for the most part, has been serviceable at right tackle considering what you were expecting from him. What do you think of this Chiefs offensive line now that Joe Tooney is back in this one? Yeah, I think that's a big deal. Um, Orlando Brown Jr. had a really, really, really rough <laughs> first half last week before Mahomes got back in the game and they shored some stuff up. Um, I think sometimes Mahomes doesn't help his tackles out with his drop depth and him running around quite a bit. Also, though, they give up a ton of pressures, him and Andrew Wiley. Mahomes helps avoid those and doesn't take a lot of sacks. So it goes on both of them. Um, with that said, notwithstanding – that first half last week, Orlando Brown Jr. has been playing good football in the second half of the season. He was battling a knee injury that I think was reported for one week and then came off the report. He battled that for several and was playing bad football as a result. He's playing better. Joe Tooney has played through some injuries. He still has always been playing good football. That is huge. I think also there was no Kadarius Tony for that game. Mm. There was no McCall Hardman for that game. And both of them might play at least Tony will play on Sunday. So health is a big deal. And, yeah, maybe they're without Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Maybe they're without um, Jody Fortson. If he doesn't get called up from the uh, injured reserve, maybe they're without Hardman. Maybe Mahomes is hobbled. But health-wise, getting Joe Tooney back is huge. Being in a better spot, that's a big deal. And I think also a sneaky thing that people aren't talking about that one good week or two good weeks doesn't really solve I think special teams need to be talked about, man. Kickoff coverage was bad last week. Harrison Butker, I don't think he's completely out of the woods yet. The Bengals might take advantage. Like, in a game this big with these two good of teams, special teams can be the difference. If you mess up on special teams once or twice, that could be the one or two or three-point swing or seven-point swing if you give up a touchdown. I think that needs to be talked about more, too. Yeah. Jordan Foote joining us right here, ESPN, Kansas City. You mentioned Kadarius Tony, and I want to get to him. 
just for a, for a moment, I like to call him Diet Debo. Uh, I want to trademark this. I want a T-shirt. And I'm not saying that Kadarius Tony is just a small guy, but Debo Samuel is a big dude. So Diet Debo, that's not a knock against Kadarius Tony. That's flattering. I'm saying you're in shape, pal. Congratulations. But they used him a little bit out of the backfield the same way San Franz uses Debo Samuel with no next week guaranteed. How much do you expect Diet Debo, a.k.a. Kadarius Tony, to play in this one? Hold on one second. I'm I'm trying to finalize this uh, trademark request for my original term, Diet Devo. No, I'm just messing with you. Wow. Um, if you take I, this foot, <laughs> foot, I will find you and, frankly, be upset with you, okay? I won't do anything. Yeah. I will do you no harm, but I will be, I will be irate. I was going to say that's a pretty bold thing to say on something that's being recorded and it's and, and going to be public access, right? To, All I said to was I'd be livid. Things. I'd be irked. You will have my yeah. ire. I didn't say anything bad. <laughs> I, I can just, make no, this I recording you're, go you're away. You're a smart man. You're a smart man. <laughs> Kyle just goes, I can make this recording go away. Uh, nice. Okay. Hey, look at you. Company man through and through, right? <laughs> anyway, Canarius Tony, um, he's... He's excellent, man, and I know he hasn't had the statistical impact that he might have next season over a full year. I thought when the Chiefs brought him in, he was A, going to be injured for the entire rest of the season pretty much. B, if he did play, you wouldn't really notice, and he wouldn't make a big play. Part of the reason he stepped up is because Hardman's out and they do some of the same stuff, but he is Hardman plus. He's Hardman plus the lateral agility, Hardman plus being shiftier with the ball in his hands. Hardman plus being better down the field. Hardman plus being a better ball tracker, potentially having better hands. Like, he is a better wide receiver, I think, than Hardman. And he's just as good of a weapon in the offense. The Chiefs, like, this is them getting him essentially off the street from the Giants and throwing him in and having him do fun stuff and doing even a little bit of Tyree Kill stuff that people didn't really think anyone would be able to do because it's Tyree Kill. Um, So I think Tony, even if he only makes, let's say, three noticeable plays where you're like, oh, Tony got the ball or Tony was in motion there or Tony um, was a decoy, if he can affect three plays in this game, maybe four, maybe five, it doesn't have to be statistically significant. I think that will help the game. I think he's that big of a game-breaking threat. And this is just the tip of the iceberg with him. The Chiefs are going to have a whole offseason to figure out how to implement him. Health is always the worry. Um, But I think if he helps contribute in this game, the Chiefs absolutely won the trade. And really, even if he's just around to provide some production next year, I think they win that either way. Jordan Foote is not only deputy editor of Arrowhead Report. Look, I didn't screw up deputy editor this time, so I'm I'm learning here, Foote. I'm getting better with my words. He also is editor-in-chief for Inside the Royals. So before you get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about the Royals. They made some big trades. You know my guy, Alberto Mondesi, traded to the Red Sox. Let's start there. What's your reaction to Mondesi getting traded for a 29-year-old left-handed reliever, a dude who missed all of last year with a back injury? What's your take here? Because I, for one, am not happy. Yeah, I think, and I've been uh, very upfront, I think, about Mondesi. I think you saw one and a half good years 
from him. I think he wasn't ready initially. I think that kind of hurt him a little bit. I think he also just wasn't ever on the field. He also wasn't that great when he did play. He struck out a ton. He wouldn't take walks. Now, the fact that he still statistically had wins above replacement seasons of, you know, 1.5 or 2.5 or whatever it was twice in a row with the strikeout problems, with the on-base issues, with the, the contact not oriented approach showed the ceiling. He always had the ceiling, but from JJ Piccolo's press conference, Zoom call, whatever you want to call it on Tuesday, I got the indication that both sides were ready to move on. He used the word excited um, when asked about Mondesi and how he felt several times. Mondesi was ready to get out of there. They were ready to move in a different direction. They still have a decent amount of depth. So the trade itself and the process I think it's fine. I, he wasn't going to be there next year anyway. Now, back to the return, Josh Taylor's going to be 30 <laughs> at the beginning of March. Um, he didn't pitch last year. He isn't very good against right-handed batters. So at, at the end of the day, you're getting a soon-to-be 30-year-old coming off a lost season who is a lefty specialist only. Now, he's really, really good against lefties he has a little bit of a track record of success and he's under club control for multiple years so you can get better value out of josh taylor in those three years or two years or however long he's a royal more than you would have got out of mondesi this season but still you would think they'd get a little bit more i think it was a slight very slight underwhelming return but all things considered with mondesi not even being guaranteed to be ready for opening day not even being guaranteed to play all of, what, 50 games, 60 games this year, I think it was okay. Just where I'm coming from, because I've talked about this before, so I don't want to dwell on it too much. With Mondesi, let's just say it's a $1 bet, and if it hits, you win, let's just say, 50 bucks. Settling for Josh Taylor's like cashing out and all of a sudden saying, yeah, we'll take the $0.10. Cents. I, yeah. It's a dollar. You don't have a lot of money tied up in Alberta Mondesi. It's not like you're, you have this large contract that you, that you sunk into him. You don't. By the way, Josh Taylor, even if he's on, and this is where I have the main issue, I don't necessarily care that they traded Mondesi. That's not my issue. It's the return. Okay? Yeah. Sorry, nothing against Josh Taylor, but the, the Royals already have a plethora of bullpen pieces. Josh Taylor might not even be on the active roster. It makes no sense. If you were to ask me going into the season, do you want Josh Taylor or do you not want Josh Taylor, I'd probably say, frankly, I don't think he matters. I don't think he moves the needle. I'd probably say no. So, Trading a guy to get a guy that I don't think even helps the team, in my opinion, makes zero sense. But let's get into the other trade, which is Michael A. Taylor to the Twins. The Twins sent 23-year-old right-hander Steven Cruz and 25-year-old left-hander Evan Sisk to the Royals. What do you make of these two guys? Because this move I'm actually a pretty big fan of. Yeah, I think Cruz opened as the number 30 prospect in the Royals system. He was number 28 for Minnesota. Sisk wasn't ranked. Um, Cruz, man... He has a very, very, very lively, I guess lively, is dynamic fastball. It can touch triple digits. Still, they're going to have to plug him up to some machines and see what his, you know, RPMs are on the pitch and what his horizontal and vertical movement are on the pitch. Like, I'm not saying it's quite a Carlos Hernandez fastball where it's just absolutely not moving. You don't get any life on it. It's flat. You're going to get it hammered. But... It also isn't like Fangraphs had it graded as a 70 pitch. I think MLB Pipeline had it at 75. I don't know if he ever lives up to that, but 
He's a guy that I think, as a righty, 6'7", 225, still only 23 years old. He won't be 24 until the middle of June. That is worth investing in as the guy in the back of your bullpen. Um, and then Evan Sisk, he is big league ready, I think. Now, he started seeing his walks rise a little bit from double-A AA to triple-A last year, but he, despite not having absolutely overpowering stuff, like if you watch him and you saw the velocity numbers, he can get some movement. Man, he's a guy that is going to get a ton of whiffs. He's a very proficient guy. He pounds the strike zone as needed. I think that's a good return, too, and he's 25. He'll be 26 in April. The Royals got a guy that this year, if they really wanted to, from the left side could produce a very, very lefty. I talked about um, the other guy being a lefty specialist. This guy allowed like a 80, not 180, not 280, 80 batting average to lefty of the minors last year. Absolutely insane. So they got a guy that I think can contribute in 2023, will have plenty of control, and a wild card. And for a guy in Mike Wade Taylor who was kind of I don't want to say addition by subtraction in value off the team, but addition by subtraction in allowing others to play center field and not him. The Royals have a young team. They needed that. I think this return is just fine. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's a very good point. It opens up spot in the outfield for either Drew Waters or Kyle Isabel. Really quickly, who are, who are you more a fan of, of becoming a future long-term big leaguer for Kansas City, Drew Waters or Kyle Isabel? Uh, that's tough. I, I think Kyle Isbell is easily the supreme defender. I think he can be a really, really, really good defensive center fielder at the big league level or an elite right fielder at the big league level. Um, but I also don't think he's going to be able to hit enough, man. Yeah, I, he's, I'm with you. He's flashed a little bit, but even last year it was really, really bad. On the flip side, Drew Waters, I think the data hated on his defense a little more than the profile shows. I think he can be a capable big league center fielder, if not a really good defensive right fielder. And while he had a really small sample size and he still strikes out way too much, he did a lot in, what, 32, 35 games after he got traded to the Royals. I think with Drew Saylor and company, he's if he can keep drawing walks near the clip he did last year, which was double digits, if he can approach that like 8, 9, 10, 10.5%, cut the strikeouts down to close to 30 he can be a really valuable piece. He's going to give you decent athleticism. He's going to give you decent defense, average to above average, you know, raw power. He could be something. So I think Isbell, for defensive reasons, Drew Waters, and that he's more unknown, more of an X factor, and I think he has the higher ceiling too. Yeah, I'm team Drew Waters. I've been saying it time and time again. When that trade went down, I was ecstatic, and I'm hoping Drew Waters turns into the guy that I think he can be. Before I let you get out of here and allow you to duck me for as long as you want, uh, obviously the Royals brought in Araldis Chapman. Does this mean Scott Barlow could be potentially on the move? If you were a betting man, do you think Scott Barlow is on this team on opening day? On opening day, I would lean yes. By the at the trade deadline or after the trade deadline, I would bet no. Mm. Is that the the next move you think the Royals make? You think the, the Royals are done this offseason, or there are a couple more in the pipeline? Oh no, there, there's more. There, there's more coming. Um, they're they're going to potentially add some infield depth based on rumblings right now, and based on what JJ Piccolo said on Tuesday. 
Um, I, I think infield depth could be a possibility. I think Zach Grinke still is a, a fairly decent possibility. Then I think maybe a, a Nicky Lopez trade that's been thrown around a little bit. I doubt that happens. Scott Barlow trade I do think happens eventually at some point. Um, also, you jinxed Hayden Hurst. He was limited today because of the calf injury. I just got that. <laughs> um, you jinxed him 20 minutes too early. It's um, my fault, but I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, but nonetheless, man, I think they're going to make more moves. I don't think they're going to be big moves. Like, if you classify Grinky as a big move, then sure. I think they have about 10 to $15 million in payroll they can spend if they want to. Whether they do that remains to be seen. J.J. Piccolo, a.k.a. Mr. Transactional. That's what he is becoming. Jordan Foote, make sure you follow him on Twitter at FooteNoted, F-O-O-T-E, Noted. Deputy Editor for Arrowhead Report and Editor-in-Chief for Inside the Royals. Foot, always a pleasure, man. Yep, sounds good. Thank you, buddy. And we'll take a quick break. Come back. Home stretch here, ESPN. Welcome back to the home stretch, ESPN Kansas City. Thank you to Jordan Foote joining us. Great song, Kyle. Great song. You like song, audio slave? That song's in your folder. It's this in my is the folder. Home stretch folder. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. Well, you, good job playing you had it. Dylan, do it. Yeah. I I don't know. I put. I love audio slave. Chris Cornell, baby. Yeah, I'm a Chris Cornell guy too. Are you now? Soundgarden, killer. Great out. Just great band. That album. It was an album or multiple he did with uh, Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam. I couldn't tell you. Was it Hair the Dog? Temple the Dog? Nah, now, now I gotta look. Are you up. curious now? I'm <laughs> curious. What, what was that? I'm looking it up. You know why? We've talked so much Chiefs. Allow us to talk Temple of the Dog. There we go. Temple of the Dog was the band. Album called Hunger Strike. Boom. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Look at that. We do Look at us. Look at us. Come on, Kyle. We did it. And for the life of me, I couldn't think of the name either. When you said of the dog, I'm like, ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know the album cover is the it was the it's like red. Yeah. I know they're very descriptive right there. It's like red. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I understand how how much of a dumbass I sound right now. But okay, calm down. All right, let's let's talk some more Chiefs. Juju Smith Schuster has been in a little mini slump in recent weeks. Uh, I think part of it has to do with the correlation of the concussion that he suffered. Obviously, not his fault. Hate to see that, but. How much of an impact does he need to have in this game? What do you think, Kyle? Is Juju Smith-Schuster, is he going to be one of the impact players for KC, or are they fine spreading the ball out, maybe not a lot of wide receiver play to begin with, going to be focusing on Travis Kelsey in the run game? What do you think when it comes to Juju Smith-Schuster? I think Juju can definitely have a big-time day because if the Bengals are smart, they're going to key in on Kelsey. And if they're still smart, they're going to see the weapons like Tony, uh, MVS, and if Nicole Hardman plays, which will be – huge those all those different weapons to key in on and then juju is just kind of kind of one that you don't really think about because he and travis do a lot of similar stuff in the middle of the field 
I think definitely he's one guy who the Bengals may not pay a ton of attention to. I think for Juju especially, it's going to be the back shoulder throws. Yeah. He and Mahomes have such a good connection, which is fairly surprising considering they've not played together very long. I mean, it's almost a full season now, but it's not like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. I'm not saying they have that connection, but it it's one of those situations where at times they look almost unstoppable. And I frankly want them to do it more often. Yep. It feels like every time it's a back shoulder throw to Juju, he comes down with it. Yeah, in Jacksonville, we against Jacksonville, we saw one down the left left uh yeah. the sideline. It was huge. Yep. Big play. And I'm hoping they do that against the Bengals this time around. Again, I, I'm very much keyed in on Kadarius Tony as far as wide receivers who can make a big impact. If they get pressure on Mahomes, he needs to get the ball out quick. And I think just in general, I know the ankle's looking better, but we know he's not going to be 100%. Who can beat their man fastest? And that's going to be Kadarius Tony. I know some people have been wary about he's not played a ton of snaps for Kansas City. He has, you know, floss for hamstrings. I don't care. There's no guaranteed next week. This team wants to win. Kadarius Tony wants to win. I think he's going to play a good... I'm not saying he plays 100% of snaps. Yeah, he doesn't need to. But but let's say 50% or 60% of snaps. Yeah. I, I think he that's a more realistic expectation. Yeah. I do think we'll see him get a couple more carries out of the backfield, some jet sweeps. Uh, they'll, they'll line him up again like Diet Debo. He's also physical. It's not like... Yeah, he, he, he lowered that shoulder. He lowered that shoulder. I don't know if I wanted him to. I know he was going for the touchdown, but I'm saying, but he's not afraid. Yeah, he's a strong runner. He's a strong runner and shifty as well. I I want the ball in Kadarius Tony's hand, and I do think we'll see him more often than we've seen him in the past. Going to the offensive line, Joe Tooney. Again, I mentioned he was out first matchup against the Bengals. Again, I don't think there's anything as an untalked about storyline because feels like. Every storyline has yeah. been talked about. Uncovering every stone. Yeah. But but it does feel like maybe Joe Tooney missing that first game hasn't got its, its due. I'm not done bringing this up and done talking about it because it was a big deal. And again, I think it's why Orlando Brown Jr. had his worst game of the season. Mm-hmm. But Joe Tooney is PFF's number one graded pass protector among all playoff linemen. So guys that are left. Creed Humphrey is sixth, Trey Smith, seventh. So that interior offensive line for Kansas City, to Nails, leap. nails. Yeah. To leap. I think Orlando Brown Jr., Andrew Wiley have been better outside of Orlando Brown Jr.'s first half against Jacksonville last week. Mm-hmm. I think part of this is correlation with Blake Bell, with him being back. He's a great blocking tight end. Something that you can chip with, someone you can have leave in there to block. I think that's something to at least keep into account. But I think this offensive line will hold. I know Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson had their way last time around. Last few times around, yeah. Trey Hendrickson especially. I'm convinced this offensive line for Kansas City is going to step up and be up for the task. I do think there is – you don't need extra motivation – and oh, an, an AFC Championship game, you're already playing 100%. But Orlando Brown Jr. mentioned him in his press conference, I want to say, was it Sunday or Monday? Whenever he talked last. Monday, I think. And he went out and said, 
along the lines of, we're going to have to protect Mahomes extra with his ankle. We're going to make sure we're doing everything extra, going above and beyond. And you might be saying, well, why don't you do that anyway? <laughs> but I do think there was something to him. All of a sudden, all right, he's hurt. What happened in the second half? That offensive line stepped up in the second half for Kansas City. Absolutely. I mean, they did. Orlando Brown Jr. especially, it was noticeable that first half to the second half. I don't know if he felt bad. I don't think that was actually his fault. I know some fans are blaming Orlando Brown Jr. for the injury to Mahomes. He held for like four or five seconds there. Yeah. It was a freak accident. It was unlucky. I'm not blaming Orlando Brown Jr. He did have a bad half, though. There might be something to them saying, all right, offensive line, the talent's there. We are not letting. We are not letting the Bengals get to Mahomes. And I do think it is the playoffs. They typically let them play. There was a little holding going on inside. I don't know how much they call it. There's a little holding with the corners against KC or even KC against the Bengals. How much do you call it? The playoffs, they try to let the players make the plays. It seemed like they did against Jacksonville. I I like those Jacksonville refs. I did too. The I Jacksonville did, Chiefs I refs. I thought them. they were great. You didn't notice them. I thought the right tackle for Jacksonville may have been going a little yeah, early at times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they were consistent. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like, a, oh, now it's a flag. Mm-hmm. They were consistent. On yeah. both sides, I, I was pleasantly surprised with yeah. those with That's those. That's all NFL refs. fans are asking for. That's what we want. Consistency. That's all we want. Mm-hmm. I, I frankly wish those refs were uh, in this one. I know. <laughs> yeah. And At least the, it's not Carl Sheffers in this one. And in the Super Bowl. At least it's not Carl Sheffers <laughs> in this one. But I do think the interior of the offensive line of Kansas City is a big aspect of this game the Chiefs need to win in the trenches I do think we'll see some 12 personnel a lot of 12 personnel a lot of 13 personnel as yeah. well no old, matter how much football. Mahomes, I'm sorry uh, no matter how much Mahomes mobility is affected Andy Reid's gonna have a plan in place you know to alleviate that sure and Jarek McKinnon we all know about his uh we, we saw the hit he put on a Jacksonville DB that was a linebacker by the way yeah that wasn't a DB. I was a linebacker. <laughs> oh, it was? It, it, I, oh. be, I believe it was the, the linebacker who was also the leading tackler in the NFL. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm okay. not mistaken. I could be mistaken. I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. But when, the la- when I looked at that, I was pretty sure that was the, that linebacker. Yeah. Well, I, I love McKinnon blocking for, for Mahomes. McKinnon blocking, and we might see a lot of McKinnon for that reason, yeah. especially is if they need a guy to be left in to, to help. It's going to be McKinnon over Pacheco. Yeah. It, it just is. Pacheco's the better power runner, but when it comes to pass protection, McKinnon is elite. Right. Pacheco might be there eventually, but he's not this year, the year 2023. The interior, by the way, one more thing, allowed only one pressure, one pressure against the Jaguars. The only negative that I want to point out for all this talk of elite interior offensive line, for all this talk of overall a very, very good offensive line for Kansas City, they've done well for the most part in, in, in pass protection. They've struggled on third and ones, yes. fourth and ones, these short yarded situations. What's your take here? Because I, I, I've talked about this a lot and I can't figure it out. I don't know if it's play calling. I don't know if... Uh, we're just giving them too much credit, and they're, or if, or if they're just not as good on these third and ones. I don't know why. 
I don't, I don't, I can't find the reasoning behind why they look so good the majority of the game, and then third and one happens, and they turn into just a bunch of the Super Bowl offensive line. Yeah, I can't understand it. Part of the reason is they do not QB sneak anymore. They tried. I get it. It wasn't a QB sneak, but with Noah Gray. They had him under center, and it was going to be a t- t- tight end sneak, if yeah. you will. Basically yeah. a QB sneak. They even had Kelsey pushing on his back. Mm-hmm. We've seen around the NFL, that works at, I don't know, just at a glance, 95% clip. Yeah. They got nothing. Mm-hmm. Didn't budge. Yeah, why is that? Why is third and one that makes Kansas hey. City fans the most nervous fan base in the NFL? And that's why I can't understand. This game, you have to pick those up. Yeah. The offensive line is too talented. They're too good. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because I think they're they're good enough that they are elite on the interior, like just the numbers we're, we're going through right here. I just don't understand why that third and one is such an issue. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe teams, they could, see that tight end sneak coming. Still, you know what QB sneak coming, that you, you can still pick that's it up. That's true, that's true. That I, fullback dive is I, I don't us. know if Andy Reid is becoming too predictable, but at the same time, predictable or not, it feels like you should be able to get half a yard, a yard, in those situations. Yeah, it seems like the yard is free. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. Come back. Home stretch here. ESPN, Kansas. Welcome back to Home Stretch, ESPN, Kansas City. Again, good job with the Chris Cornell. I'm proud of you, Kyle. Some news right here. Frank Reich will be taking over as head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Steve Wilkes is out. Frank Reich is in. I am slightly surprised that Steve Wilkes is out. Steve Wilkes went 6-6 six and six after Matt Rule was fired following that 1-4 start. I thought Steve Wilkes did a fantastic job. Obviously, the former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals for one season, the former defensive coordinator of Mizzou. While he was brutal as the D.C. of Mizzou, I thought he did a fine job. Frankly, a great job as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Not a lot of talent on that team. Was getting the best out of Sam Darnold. But the Panthers are going with Frank Reich. The thought process, they said, was based that Frank Reich has that offensive background. Obviously, his success with Carson Wentz. I think at times there's so much emphasis on offense now and offense this. You can get a great OC. You can get a good play caller. It comes down to, do you think that this guy is a good leader of men? I thought Coach Wilkes, what he did when he came in with Carolina, looked like to be a good leader of men to me. Yeah, they almost became a playoff team. Almost became a playoff team. Too bad for uh, for Coach Steve Wilkes. Again, as a Mizzou fan, he was not great there, but you still want to see a guy get another opportunity. We'll see if he gets another opportunity as the coaching hiring process goes on this offseason. We'll be back tomorrow from 3 to 4 p.m. Until then, we are